Today's scripture is brought to us from uh, Genesis 40, 1 through 15, and 23. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them into custody in the house of the captain of the guard, in the same prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. After they had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials, who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there is no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine there were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and its clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put the cup in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to the position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand, just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Thanks be to God. Uh, good morning again, everybody. Uh, it is a beautiful day in the neighborhood on this uh, January 31st. And I am so glad that you are here worshiping with us. Before I get into the message, um, as I did last Sunday, I want to tell you that we're going to be reopening for in-person worship on February 14th, so two weeks from today. And just like we did last fall, you're going to need to pre-register um, before you come. And, and, but we will continue to live stream as we're doing today for all of you worshiping at home. Uh, we're going to start out with just one service at the 9 o'clock, and as we've been doing this month, we'll continue to do for a little while, where we alternate each Sunday between traditional music and the contemporary music, and you know what? I think you'll be okay with that. Um, and it'll be that way until we go back to two services, hopefully sometime uh, by the, before the end of March. So, in-person worship begins again on Valentine's Day, and then three days later, we begin Lent, and we're going to have a drive-through Ash Wednesday this year. Maybe you've heard a little bit about it. You'll hear more about it soon. During Lent, we're going to go through Matthew's Gospel in a series called, This is Jesus. Uh, we also have a devotional book for you here, so that you can learn more about Jesus. It's just two or three pages a day. Uh, and personally, as your pastor, I'd much rather see you give up uh, five or ten minutes learning about Jesus than have you give up chocolate. Just saying. 
Starting tomorrow, you can pick up your copy of this devotional commentary written by Ben Witherington, who I, I know and I've met. Uh, it, the copies will be in the vestibule at the west entrance. Okay, let's pray. Today, oh God, we are hungry. We are hungry for a word from you. And if we're not hungry, then Lord, make us hungry. We know, as Jesus said, we do not live by food alone, but by your word. Give us the nourishment of life. Energize us to live for your glory. Jesus, we love you, and we pray in your mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. Uh, as Jeff said a little bit ago, uh, our, our mission, the business that we are about here at Faith Westwood is uh, helping people who are not yet Jesus' disciples to become his disciples. And our vision is that God is going to transform all of us day by day into his deep, daring, daily disciples. And that is why we devote ourselves to God's word. You know, last year, some of you may remember this, we spent 12 weeks in the Psalms. Uh, we learned a lot about prayer in the Psalms. Uh, after Easter, we spent uh, a few weeks learning what Jesus taught about sickness and health. Uh, we spent part of the summer claiming God's promises in Romans chapter 8. And then, last fall, we devoted 11 weeks to studying uh, the Apostle Paul's letter, second letter, to the Corinthians. And we learned how to experience God's strength in our weakness. You know, without the infusion of God's Word, we will flounder. Unless we assimilate its story, we're going to conform to the culture rather than be transformed by God. You see, the Bible, understood through the lens of a disciple of Jesus, is authoritative for us. It's our infallible guide to what we believe, uh, what we desire, how we behave. Today is week four in our sixth Sunday series called Regular Joe, and we're learning about Joseph from the book of Genesis. And, and I would just say, if you have committed to be a partner at Faith Westwood, I have an expectation that you would watch or listen to every service every week. And not, not for me, not for my benefit, but for yours. So you can become what this world really needs, deep, daring, daily disciples. Before we look at Jesus' story, I want to tell you about somebody else. He, uh, he was a young lawyer. Uh, he was a political activist trying to reform government. Sometimes, though, his plans included violence. And for that, he was sent to a tiny prison cell. At night, he was forced to sleep naked on the cold, damp floor. His toilet was a bucket. He was forced to do hard labor at a quarry. He was allowed one visitor a year for 30 minutes. Every six months, he could send and receive a letter. But each letter was tightly censured. He was held in that prison for 18 years. 
But he did not lose focus. With the help of visitors and other prisoners, he he smuggled out statements that sparked a movement. He led his fellow inmates in a peaceful demonstration for improved conditions at the prison. And after those 18 years, he was transferred to a cottage where he was held under house arrest. Nine years at that cottage, then for a total of 27 years of incarceration, then finally he was released by the order of the president. He entered into negotiations with that president for the creation of a new government. And for that work, he and the president received the Nobel Peace Prize. And then, on May 10th, 1994, Nelson Mandela was sworn in as the new president of South Africa. Journalist Sylvester Monroe once asked Mandela how his time in prison affected him. The reporter asks, how do you not hate white people? Mandela answered, if I had allowed myself to become bitter, I would have died in prison. The TV show Frontline says, Robben Island Prison became the crucible which transformed him. Through his intelligence, uh, charm, and dignified defiance, Mandela eventually bent even the most brutal prison officials to his will, assumed leadership over his jailed comrades, and became the master of his own prison. It says he emerged from it the mature leader who would fight and win the great political battles that would create a new democratic South Africa. Today's message can be summed up in one sentence. Here it is. God allows us to wait through the delays and disappointments in order to refine us and prepare us for things to come. Have you ever found this to be true in your life? Sometimes we can only see it when we look in the back in the rearview mirror. Let's say it together. Will you say it with me? God allows us to wait through delays and disappointments in order to refine us and prepare us for things to come. Nelson Mandela's transformation in prison reminds me of Joseph's story in the Bible. Joseph finds himself in a prison, a dungeon in Egypt. How did the great-grandson of Abraham and Sarah end up here? Well, his ten older half-brothers decided they were going to get rid of him. They sold him off to traders to be a slave. In Egypt, Joseph rebuffs the sexual advances of his master's wife, so she accuses him of sexual assault, and that's how he lands in prison. One thing we see in Joseph's story is that not only is his life unfair, it's, it's unfair about how unfair it is. Life's been more unfair to Joseph than to most people. And it's that way for some of you, I know. You have had way more than your share of unfair. 
We don't know how long Joseph was in prison, but his years of slavery and imprisonment together uh, spanned 13 years from the time he was aged 17 to 30. I'm, I'm guessing he may have spent more years as an inmate than a slave, but we're not really sure. Genesis chapter 40 introduces two of Pharaoh's officials to the prison, the head baker and the head cupbearer. Now, I'm, I'm guessing, because it was those two, that there was an attempted poisoning on the Pharaoh. And both officials were jailed and, uh, during the investigation. Joseph was put in charge of caring for them. And they were there quite a while, and then one day Joseph noticed something different about them. Let's go to verse 6. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So Joseph, who was once a cocky 17-year-old, is now a, a more uh, sensitive 28-year-old. He knows what it's like to be rejected and dejected. And he, now he notices it in others too. Not only that, he shows that he cares. Verse 7, so he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? You know, that kind of question is so powerful. One of the things that we do is we're learning to be blessed friends. The L in blessed stands for listen with care. And, and asking a caring question just opens the door to that, right? Joseph, he could have become bitter during all those years of slavery and imprisonment, but that would have been a dead end. Instead, he becomes sensitive and caring traits we did not see in him earlier. And this tells me that he has put his life in the hands of God. Tells me he wakes up every morning saying, God, use me for your purpose wherever I am, whoever, whoever I'm with. So the two officials respond to Joseph's question, verse 8. We both had dreams, they answered, but there, there's no one to interpret them. Dreams were very important in ancient Egyptian culture. People went to professional dream interpreters to help understand them. And knowing that they wouldn't find anybody like that in prison, they despaired. Uh, and they knew their dreams must be important because they each had very similar dreams on the exact same night. Something must be going on. Joseph tells them that they, they don't need a professional to understand their dreams. It says, then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the two officials each share their dreams, and even though they are uh, similar, they have very different meanings. The head cupbearer's dream means that in three days, his head will be lifted, and he will be restored to the position of, of, uh, of serving Pharaoh. The head baker's dream means that in three days, his head will be lifted off his body. Not so good. Joseph sees his opportunity. In verse 14, he tells the head cupbearer, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh 
and get me out of this prison. Have you ever seen circumstances come together and it just feels like God is setting the stage for a miracle? God is opening a door so wide you could drive a truck through it and you're thinking, oh, wonderful, all my troubles will be be over, hallelujah. Let's say, for example, you have a very important hire to make for your company and you know this, this one is crucial. You've got to get this one right. And then your neighbor mentions that his daughter's moving back home. She's highly qualified. She has the education. She's got the experience, the expertise. And you learn this is just the kind of job she's hoping for. I mean, it's kind of like the star of Bethlehem is in the sky, flashing down, this is the one, this is the one. And you see God's fingerprints all over this, and you're saying, oh, thank you, Lord. And then, for reasons you cannot fathom, the deal falls through. And you're left wondering, God, where did I go wrong? How did I, how did I misunderstand this? I thought you had set all this up. I wonder if Joseph's hopes were just flying high after his conversation with the cupbearer. I, I can imagine him thinking, you know, by the end of the week, I'm going to be out of here. But the weeks roll by, and then the months roll by. No word from the palace. Verse 23 tells us of yet one more unfairness to Joseph. It says, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. I can see Joseph lamenting how it seems like no good deed goes unpunished. And yet... Through these years of delay and disappointment, even though Joseph may have not been able to see it while he was in the middle of it, what we find is that God is refining him. God is preparing him for greater things, for the destiny he could not foresee. Now, just clarification here. I, I don't believe that God caused all these bad things to happen. But God used them to prepare Joseph. And that brings us back to our good news for today. God allows us to wait through delays and disappointments in order to refine us and prepare us for things to come. What was Joseph being prepared for? Well, when we read the rest of Genesis, we find that God used Joseph uh, to save people from many nations from starvation during a severe famine. And among the people he saved was his own family. The people of God and the promises of God would carry on because of Joseph. At the end of Genesis, we find Joseph looking back on all his life of experiences, and he he can recognize the guiding hand of God. And he tells his brothers, after more than two decades of not having seen them, says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Waiting is always a part of walking by faith. Did you know that? Waiting is always a part 
of walking by faith. Moses and the Israelites waited in the desert 40 years. The people of Judah waited in exile 70 years in Babylon. And God's people waited for centuries for the Messiah. Today, we wait. We wait for Jesus to return. We wait for the day when God's going to restore all things in heaven and earth. And we pray that waiting prayer, thy kingdom come. Sometimes, does it ever feel like to you that we're imprisoned by the coronavirus? Um, you know, life is, to me, I would say that it's fairly normal. You know, like a lot of you, I get out of the house just about every day. I go to work, pick up lunch uh, once in a while. I, I get groceries. I shop at stores. I, I just do it with precautions like everybody else. And yet, like a lot of you, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the day when I can sit down to a meal with my extended family. It's been a long time. I'm waiting for the day when we can fill this worship center with the sound of singing voices, praising to God. I'm waiting for the day when it will be safe to sit down without a mask at a crowded restaurant. You can do it now. It's just not safe. I'm waiting for the day when we can invite friends over to watch a ball game. And if Joseph were here, I imagine he'd say, remember, there is purpose in the waiting. God is doing something. Don't miss it. Waiting isn't just about marking time. It's about building our faith. It's about letting God refine our character. It's about learning lessons along the way. God allows us to wait through delays and disappointments in order to refine us and prepare us for things to come. And we wait with hope because God is good. And because God is good, we wait with hope. Let's pray. Dear God, we know that sometimes we are not good at waiting. <laughs> we don't see the value in it. We get impatient. We get easily irritated. And so, Lord, during our delays and disappointments, we put ourselves into your hands and we say, do your deep work in me. Refine me. Prepare me for your purposes. And prepare me for the greater glory yet to come. We give you thanks and praise in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen.